Hey, welcome back to the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast, episode 152. This week we have another artist roundtable, and I'm joined by two excellent ink slingers themselves. First up, the artist on Hellbreaker and Keir Wordsmith, Mr. Ian Ashcroft. How you doing, Geezy? All right? I'm very well, Tony. How are you? Very well, mate. Good. Good to have you back. And um, from a land far away, the artist of Tony Osmond and Stephen Seagal. It's uh, sitting on his porch, Mr. Clifford Cumber. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you, Tony. I, I should clarify that is uh, uh, the, that little strip is about you when you say Steven Seagal. That is you actually killing Steven Seagal. I know. I broke my heart, that. I know. Wasn't it? I tried to make it an emotional roller coaster for you. That's the thing I we do. That. You and I do. We do sensitive comics, don't we, about sensitive we, people? Very nuanced and complex. <laughs> yes. But that one was all you, that one. I didn't have a hand. I know, that. I know. That's the thing. I don't even get have the excuse to make. Oh yeah, Tony made me do this one, <laughs> and um, they're like, "Okay, we won't cancel you this time." And now I got no excuse. <laughs> they're just gonna, yeah, press the button on that. But uh, I'm glad, glad they to can't be cancel here. you Thank if you don't let them. The, and then you do uh, a picture well, of me yeah, with a massive yeah. penis on the inside back cover, which is I was quite proud of. I've shown that to the missus. Uh, I should clarify once again, so I don't get cancelled. The penis is covered. It's a it very, is. it's a demure portrait. I thought. <laughs> very in, in the new romantic style based on charles atlas um so i had to the charles atlas ad to, isn't it yeah the charles atlas ad so i had to sort of i had to make I, I unfortunately i had to put in a few more muscles for you because clearly when you are stripped naked you are a beast just a <laughs> yoked monster so um yeah i had to add in a lot of extra muscles there it includes but, matted black hair across all mm-hmm. my body then i will agree with you not so sure about the muscle at all, but you know. The, the, well, you, the picture you sent me was on a day that you had shaved, so I didn't put that in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of shaving, how are you in? I'm fine. I just said hello. You got that big rant off, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right, Ian. Right, oh, is he here? Is that Ian Ashcroft? It, it oh. is. Hello, Cliff. Oh, my God. He's just like the Michael fucking Angelo of illustration. <laughs> So just just for a second, I got to tell you, I I am a member of Ian's Patreon. Patreon. I thought it would be hilarious to pay him money and, and make him think like I, he was some way obligated to me. And he has been posting just some amazing. Oh, stuff. the coloured work, called, Ian? Man. The ladder. The ladder. Amazing. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, the ladder. It, it, just you're just rubbing first. our faces in it. Just like you know, I'm just looking at this and I'm like, why am I paying? Because he's punishing me by by posting this art. It's bullying, isn't it? It's a form it's, of bullying. It is a form of bullying. I feel like, you know, it's like I, I just snapped a pencil the other day when I saw that, like this beautiful stuff just come across. It's sort of top-level work. Just amazing. Lovely colour, man. Thank you though. very really much. Really nice. I, I, I'd love to carry that one on. Uh, I've, I've only done the first, like, seven pages of it, but it's, uh, it's something that I've got in, in my back, like, on the back burner at the moment, but one day I if you ever get any quiet and... time yeah 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 it, it it's a bit full-on but it's so much fun isn't it when you've got an idea and just trying to get it out there but who knows i've got a lot a lot of things to clear out the way before i can get back to that you have man but thank you very yeah. much Chris, and thank you for being a piece and i noticed you got a massive shout out on um pat <laughs> substack the other day as well didn't you 
yeah, that was very kind as well. My dad actually watched, my dad gets that sub back as well, and he, he watched that me and said, have you seen this? And I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it, I know. You can just see him with a little tear in his eye, like finally Ian's doing something with his life. He's <laughs> <laughs> already started. That far from the truth, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was amazing. It's great. I can't wait to see Hellbreaker, Ian. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, it does, man. Yeah, you oh, really just—you can tell. You can, you can, you can tell how much work you've been putting into that, and like blood, sweat, and tears, man. It looks fantastic. Thank you, thank you. It is, it's getting. I'm really into it at the moment. That's the thing that I want to. Uh, I'm just really every, every evening. I'm trying to do a little bit and just chip away at it and just make even a little bit of progress. It's like it's, it's taken a long time, but Pat and Lisa have been so lovely about it recently. I sort of had a little bit of a message with them and said, you know, I'm so sorry this has taken me so long. I'm, you got a life, man. You got a full daytime job. It's more than full day. And a family, and yeah, yeah. They were so understanding. They're just like it gets done when it gets done, and you just. I'd rather. I think I'd rather put my best foot forward and do my best work, and it comes out a little bit later than rush it through. Quality over quantity. That's what we need in the comic book. I mean, we need a bit more of that. I think a little bit more quality for sure. Yeah, man, not off. Yeah. Well, nicely done, because speaking of quality, we've decided to pick a different artist this week. I've picked it, but I'm going to... Who would like to announce who we're talking about this week? Oh, well, let Ian go for it. Okay. Ian can do it. It's comics book legend Joe Kubert that we're looking at. And um, I was watching some of his clips on YouTube and stuff like that, and the thing... Uh, just after what we're talking about there he, he was talking about how he worked and that he said that he worked every day of the week on weekdays he worked 8 a.m till 5 p.m and he'd just be sat at his table and then on weekends he worked half days on saturday and sunday so he's completely dedicated to it good man any great yeah joe Kubert this week um the man that gary groth in the um tcj interview calls one of the best draftsmen the art has ever seen neil adams said um he ignores the boring and mundane he went directly to the powerful and dramatic um two great quotes about him um and we're going to get on we're going to have a a general chit chat about him talk a bit about the history and then you two guys have chosen a book each to talk about um and focus a little bit in, in the way that you see it as an artist as well um Let's start with you then, Cliff. Is he someone you'd spent sure. time with before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, my my. Of course, I I think anybody who grew up reading comics while Cubit was alive has seen, and probably owns several pieces of Cubit's artwork. The guy hmm. was just prodigious in the amount of stuff that he could he could churn out. So you know, throughout my collection, I have just tons of books where he's either done the cover or he's done the interior, you know, and I picked them up not knowing that that was Joe Cuba back in the day, you know, I didn't really, uh, you know, the concept of an actual human being pushing these books out, that was not, you know, not something in the mind of a, like a yeah. seven or eight year old. But um, the, the one thing I do remember is just the composition and the lines and his ability to uh, just, he has this flowing style, this, this just, it's it's almost uh diff- it's difficult to describe but mm. you know it's like you, when you look at it it kind of 
you know, I always talk about that sort of little itch in, we have in our brains that needs to be scratched by a certain type of artwork. And he had that in spades, just the way that he drew. His style was fitted to just about anything, whether or not it was, you know, Hawkman, which was one of his um, sort of preeminent characters, yeah. or, you know, a horror or war, you know, which yeah. was one of the things that he was most prodigious in. Um, he had that kind of style that didn't really need adapting. It could speak to all of these dif different genres and uh, and be equally as impactful in each of them. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I was aware of Cubit even before I was aware of Cubit. Yeah, I get you, man. Yeah, I see um, what you're saying. Especially just, we'd see him on the everywhere. covers a lot, wouldn't we, when we were kids, I'm guessing, as well. Yeah. You know. What about you, Ian? Uh, he, um, did, he did tons of covers in the Golden Age. Sorry, yeah, tons of covers in like through throughout the the eighties. Yeah, you know, seventies and eighties. What about you, Ian? When when did you first see his stuff, or were at least aware of it? Well, I think, like I said, with the covers and and um, it just sort of soaks into uh, into your sort of like psyche, doesn't it? Because you see see his work quite frequently. But in all honesty, like with a lot of what we've done in the past with our round table podcast it, it this is why i'm enjoying them so much because um i am a comics newcomer so with like with john byrne and, and val mary um commission this sort of encouraged me to look at joe cubit a lot more than i'd, I'd seen them before i had um really my first exposure to him was kind of like one that he probably won't go down history for but it must be like one of the last comics he did or contributed to which was um before watchman night owl he yeah was thinking his oh own. yes 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 um and you know i was really looking back over that because i think i was i was getting that series because i was just discovering comics and there's a lot of artists on that series that i know it's like sort of been panned by the critics that i really no, not necessarily so, i think there was a sort of yeah. certain criticism and, and flair back to it but i think some of the art really stands up in some of those issues oh, yeah, you had steve rude like on steve it and, you know yeah steve rude you got adam Hughes on it jay lee his personal favorite lead mayo and yeah. then i didn't realize but the night owl story it's penciled by his son and then him and um bill and um, senkovich is that how you pronounce it yeah, well, I, I say Sinkevich, but I'm not, to be Sinkevich. fair, I'm not yeah. totally sure. But, yeah, that's that was an, an ongoing theme, actually. I was reading some Incredible Hulk, because if you look on the Marvel app, there's not much Cuba on there, but there is um, there is the rare instance of him inking and assisting in pencils with, with both of his sons, yeah. um, which is interesting. And you can go through the pages, because it doesn't detail what pages were done in the issue, and you can go, yeah, that's Joe Cuba that page yeah. you know, it's almost like that you know i think you can definitely tell even because i think um think does like a, a little bit of a uh he's sort of like copying his inking style and i think it's the last issue out before issue one but i think you can really you can spot it quite clearly um but i thought even just looking back through that book very quickly i thought it was really interesting it and i agree with cliff it's that like flowing line that cliff was saying I, i've written down here it's it seems like really unfussy inks, you know, yeah. there's um, diagonal flicks to depict different tones. He uses like lots of line work. He doesn't use that much um, spot blacks in this book. It's lots of sort of scratchy cross hatching. Okay. Um, and it, it doesn't look rushed though. It looks like it's being done quickly, but it looks 
more assured than anything. Um, and like I say, I'm fussy, but that's, I mean, that's sort of a side issue, but I just thought it was interesting because I sort of, my first real proper exposure to his work, I suppose, was, it must be one of the last books he's worked on if he passed yeah. away in 2012 because it got published in 2012 as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you sent us a panel um, earlier today. Yeah. Um, what was that from? I, I couldn't spot what that that's was from. from Before Watchmen. Oh, okay. That's, that's yeah. from that, yeah. And I just thought it's, a, it's so scratchy in places. He's, he's just, I think he's just com- really confident and he's earned the right to see some of his earlier work is just, having gone back through it, it's just blown my mind, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people compare him to Adams. I think he's, an, he's a touch point as well as Gil Kane, I think. Yeah. But he predates them, you know. Yeah. This, this yeah. is a this is a dude who um, has had a number of different styles. I would say, Cliff. Would you have you have you seen that? I know you you read the the art of um, the art of Cubit book, didn't you? Which goes through some of that. That's correct. I, I think you know you you can tell in Gil Kane there's definitely some Cuban influence, right? Yeah. I would definitely suggest that. Um, but he when, was very unkind to back, him at one point, wasn't he? I mean, Gil Kane was actually quite unkind to Joe Cubit at one point, which urged Cubit to go back and study anatomy because I think Gil Kane didn't he say something he doesn't understand anatomy or something um, oh I you know honestly don't remember yeah, yeah. but I, I, w- I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised because um, I know that um, you know when Cubit was early on his anatomy kind of wasn't very good but he was highly influenced by you, you know some of the people that he was working with at the time you know like uh, Lou Fine and um, yeah. Uh, yeah for sure and he saw kind of the uh the the potential in those styles to be a little bit more realistic in fact if if you look at his really early early work and for this we're going back to you know like Volton and all that sort of those very Volton. first yeah yeah even pre-war um uh when he was sort of drawing as a kid and yeah. it actually looks a little bit like uh Bill Willingham back when Bill Willingham was uh drawing okay. so you, you know the the anatomy uh, definitely could have used work, so I wouldn't at all be a surprise surprised if there was uh, somebody said something like that to him as like for God's sakes, you know. Yeah. And I think he he actually maybe did some life drawing that helped him put it together. I, I can't remember. I mean, allegedly, I that, Gil, but, uh, Gil Kane w- was a strange character and and, pr- and prone yeah. to some some erratic behaviour. But yeah, which um, mm-hmm. I, I I kind of get a bit defensive when I hear people say like that things like that about Cuba, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, because, you know, you look at the guy, right, and he's a giant. I mean, he's part of a dynasty yeah. of artists and his influence on the genre, on the comic book genre has far outstretched, I think, anybody in the modern era. Right. Um, and and and, you know, mainly because of his presence just throughout the history of several eras of comic books but also because you know he was the guy who started the cubit school which has yeah. um, produced so many people who are also in and of themselves influential you know yeah. so 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 to criticize somebody like that just comes off as sort of even if he needed it back in the day just a little bit i don't yeah. know well, you know, not 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 quite cricket, really, to criticise somebody who's uh, with the genius of Joe Cubert. Yeah. Well, let's let's um, talk a little bit about his early years because I've got some questions to ask you guys about that as well. Um, so he's born um, Yosef uh, Y O S A I F Cuba yeah. in 1926 in a, um, in a town in Poland. Which interestingly, now due to the changes post-war and various times of of the the map, is now actually part of Ukraine. 
So if he was born there today, he would be Ukrainian. Um, mm -hmm. Whilst very young, his family moved to the US and they, they eventually settled in Brooklyn. And newspaper strips, this is kind of pre-comic books, really. Mm. Newspaper mm -hmm. strips were the the deal, you know, so early Tarzan, um, he was he was really into, I mean, he quotes influences as Hal Foster on Tarzan and uh, Flash Gordon, Jungle yeah. Jim with Alex Raymond, Terry and the Pirates and Milton Kniff, and later Dick Tracy, Little Orphan Annie and The Phantom. Um, yeah. Depending, like, we had a quick discussion about this. Depending on which story you read, he uh, he was either thirteen or eleven and a half when he started working in a design <laughs> studio, um, um, basically doing whatever was needed, running and making the tea, you know, lining out things with a ruler, um, and Lou Fine became his idol over that period. Now he is a man who's had a number of mentors, and in later life, or year, a few years later, even became a mentor for others. Is that something mm. you guys have ever, whether in an, in an actual literal sense or in a sort of observing the art of? Have you, have you? Is that something you've picked someone and thought, right, this dude is my mentor? I mean, I know we've had um, Art Adams conversations, you and me, Cliff, and we've had yeah, Jay, Lee, yeah. Jay, Jay Lee conversations, me and you. Ian, but is it is there anyone you would see as a sort of spiritual mentor to you, or anyone actually in real life who sort of guided you through art? What, Ian, what do you think? Um, well, it, being having gone through art uh, as an education level, you you do you know you get teachers or, or you feel that can guide you through. And yeah, for me, actually, my my biggest mentor is in terms of art when I was growing up was my dad because he was. He was pretty talented at art, but he okay. never really pursued it. And he sort of, he taught me a lot about how I can build up an image and draw them proportion and work in perspective. And I can remember most of the lessons I learned was from him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I can remember, like, going to his family home and up in the attic, which is where he, he had his room up there. He had this big, like, uh, amazing... Um, painting he's done of a guitarist that it just blew my mind when I was a kid and um, I can remember him showing me how to draw like cowboys and stuff like that um, so he always discredits his artistic ability and said he wasn't very good in that but he, he was I just yeah. think he, the, the problem with a lot of art education is I think if you get the wrong person um, giving you advice and guidance and, and not recognising anything about your work that's special it, it, it can stop it can stop people from wanting to take it any further as well yeah um, i mean some art schools terms, have got a terrible reputation for just ripping uh, up pages and you know it can be a rough place to learn your trade can't it i think sometimes to be honest it's the main thing i when i go into school every day i think i don't want to be that person right <laughs> that's the main i don't want to be the person who puts people off you know you've got a big responsibility there's someone in that room that you might not know loves that subject and you don't want to trample on anyone's dreams and okay. you want to be honest and you want to give constructive advice but i've never seen the point in just destroying someone just because you can and um yeah uh so my, my dad there was a couple of art i had um very briefly i had like a, a i did get some art lessons outside of school as well from a guy called ross who was an australian and he was really enthusiastic because I wanted to paint like fantasy kind of stuff and more weird and 
imaginative stuff and in school you couldn't do that everything had to be from observation or realistic so he kind of indulged that and, and let me run with that and then sort of like you know imaginary dreamscapes and stuff like that so oh, wow. I, I did enjoy that in, in terms of like other artists I've, I've spoken about it a lot but it was like I feel like the first artists that I sort of stumbled on are not the greatest artists ever and that's why I love doing these shows because you guys sort of have that much deeper knowledge of comic books and and people that maybe would have passed me by I'm getting to actually look back on them and appreciate them and yeah. to me Joe it's probably the best one we've looked at so far there's always someone that man that we don't know that's the thing no matter you yeah. can read comics and study them your whole life and there'll always be yeah. someone that will surprise you you know yeah yeah definitely I think you also instinctively look for people who have a similar drawing style to okay you. yeah I think that I think people do that I think there's a lot of people that look at Mike Mignola um, because it's a style that you can ape relatively successfully. I looked for Jay Lee because I felt like I, I, it was like I was looking at my own drawings when I yeah. saw his work. I was like, whoa. Um, I really latched onto uh, Simon Bisley, okay. um, which makes that connection to Pat even greater for me. Um, so there was, there was quite a few, but um, I'm just trying to think. There's, there's a few outsider comics as well, and, and I, I do love like Frank Rosetta and those kind of artists. Yeah, I can see well. that now, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about um, you, Cliff? What, what sort of thing? Have you ever had a mentor, as it were? or? So, I mean, that's that's a really difficult question to answer because, you know, what qualifies as mentorship? I mean, I, I had uh, when I very early on, I had a good friend and he was in, into comics as much as I was. And he was much, much superior artist than I was at the time. And I remember, you know, we would get together and we would draw together and I would learn things off of him and, uh, you know, penciling and all that kind of stuff. So. It gave me something to aspire to. But, you know, after that, it became just really um, that, you know, I didn't grow up in the age of the Internet when there's this ubiquitous availability of tutorials. And and even the artists who I admire have somewhat of an Internet presence. So you can see how they construct their panels and put them together. The only education I had up until about the age of 16 or 17 before I went to my first comic book store was literally the comics themselves. So, you know, I remember like copying panels and doing that sort of stuff. So, you know, my my mentors were the comics themselves in, in a way, you know, looking at the comic books, seeing how they were constructed, trying to ape that, do my own drawings and that sort of thing. Um, and it wasn't until I think I went to um, Forbidden Planet when it was on Denmark Street and they had some original art around the walls that I finally saw kind of, okay, I kind of have an idea now of what these things look like in black and white. It's a revelation um, to uh, us, wasn't it, back then? We we finally saw yes. a page of original yeah, art. We thought, yeah. oh, so fucking hell, that's how they do it. it. Yeah, yeah. In, in real life, they're in literal black and white. And I remember, you know, the oversized pages of 2000 AD and the 11 by 17 inch pages of uh, Marvel, you know, and yeah. and just just I, there were pages of uh, I remember Sienkiewicz's New Mutants work. Uh, there were pages and they used to have what was like a poster rack at the back of the store and you could flip through the original art. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, Tony. No, that, but... I don't remember that, actually. I went there a few times, but yeah. it's all a bit of a misty haze for me, I think. Yeah, yeah it is it definitely is to try and remember how that was and yeah. i don't know how long 
whether or not that was something that prevailed. But as soon as they moved, I don't remember them having any original art at all. Anyway, that that yeah. aside, I remember spending you know a couple of hours just standing there looking at these pages of New Mutant art and 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 inspecting kind of the minutiae of the panels of how Sinkevich had constructed them. You know, and and well, he probably isn't the best mentor to have because he is such um he works into his art quite a lot. You know, you can see where he puts process white over things where it didn't quite work out. But okay. the thing I was trying to look at was the pencil lines underneath. Yeah, that that for me was kind of like, how how did they build the structure? You know, first of all, the rough pencils, the inks and then everything else, you know, which was all hand done back in the day because yeah. you would you would paste the, the words onto the the pages and things like that so for that process for me it was like painfully seeking out these heroes of mine and i remember like just like um you know ian was citing his heroes you know my my early hero was alan davis uh, it was just he his art just for somehow tweaked something in me that you know there was an immediate resonance for me with his artwork he did so, heroes you know, this year I, did you see uh, i i i uh, don't you're killing me anyway <laughs> i'm hoping he comes back to baltimore this year because i yeah. met him last year and i bottled it on buying a commission but uh, this year i'm i'm thinking i'm gonna lay down the money because you know he's not getting any younger anyway yeah, so okay. you know personal hero there um and gradually you know as i was reading comic books i would find artist after artist who i admired and elements of each of those artists kind of I would bring back to my own art and at first it would be awkward, but then finally, you know, eventually there's a period where you find your own style and it kind of blossoms out of all of those influences that you've had along. So that kind of mentorship. But um, insofar as sort of critique, I, I like Ian, I went to art college right. um, back, back in the 80s. So, you know, I did have that experience of what I call legitimate critiques, you know, not just like the well, that fucking sucks, you know, yeah. the way the internet has of critiquing artists these days. <laughs> but like actual artists who really could point out places for improvement. And like Ian, also, my art school was not, had very little time for anybody who wanted to be a comic artist or anything else. So I found myself, you know, pushing myself into other disciplines, which ultimately I think was a beneficial thing. So, you know, I learned to take criticism. But after that, after leaving that, I didn't have really anywhere. I just kept drawing, you know, basically and trying to yeah. looking at other artists and, um, you know, um, uh, trying to inherit some of what made them good. Because there's definitely you, you think you can see it. There's something about it that makes it good. Yeah. You know, that appeals there's to you. There's a personality there. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the best artists are ones who ha have the completely own unique style. Um, so, you know, my, my mentorship was very different from what Kubert experienced because he was lucky enough to actually be in those early comic shops amongst like the first wave of those artists. Yeah, you know? I mean, he, he, was um, in, he was in Eisner's shop for a while, you know, filling in blacks right. on the spirit and stuff when he was 14. He yeah. yeah, exactly. So so he, you know, he his he, he was there in those amongst those initial in, in the initial formation of how comics came to be what it is today amongst some of like the legends. So yeah. he got to learn like at the literally at the foot of those people yeah. on their artwork, you know, doing little jobs here and there. So, you know, I mean, 
his he 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 had access to i think a process that allowed him to very quickly develop his style to become an artist and also opportunities within that field which was blossoming at the time you know with these people to actually show him how to do stuff so yeah you know i think um we we ian and i um you know we i don't think we've we've had that kind of access to people who it's amazing just what, sort of be what, there you know it's amazing what a closed door comic companies are now compared to what they were 30 years ago i mean you, yeah. you know as the stories go you used to be able to wander in a couple of big comic companies and show them your portfolio you know stuff like right. that. And, imagine and, trying to get past reception these days you know yeah, more than likely there would be one of them who would who would be like, okay, yeah, and there were more opportunities to work in a sort of juvenile capacities and what we would call an intern today. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, they they had slots available for young men, and uh, you know, you didn't have to go to college, you didn't have to get a degree because the educational attitude yeah. at the time was very much you learn as you go along well, through watching and everything else i agree man let's let's talk a little bit about that because you've hit on the moment where i was gonna start talking about in his history because he actually did yeah. this for free he would go into places like chesler's shop and um slightly later on um uh, eisner's shop and which mm -hmm. eisner's was like a flat in a house and all the artists would be in different rooms working um right and the art the, apparently the writers were in a different flat or something so i didn't really see the, the writers but allegedly with chesler he chesler would turn up and go right how much does everyone need this week that was his like gag <laughs> and um they would make they'd make like 50 50 a week and um I can't yeah. remember, it may have been fine actually i can't remember who they said it was actually gave him five dollars but he was yeah. doing it for free most of the time and he was lettering writing and pen he was lettering penciling and inking pages sometimes you know yeah Incredible. So, so the interesting thing, uh, just historically about the context of how this grew up, is that you know Kubert was not a first-generation comic artist. He was the first of the second generation. So yeah. he 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 grew up reading the comics and the you know the like through his formative years up until yeah. the age of fourteen when he actually started doing it. So you know it's kind of interesting. Like there's this first wave of people who were not yeah really he comic book readers he says that in the, yeah he says that in the comics journal interview actually he says. The first wave grew up as cla studying classical artists, so they were stud studying right. Rembrandt and Michelangelo and these sort of people. But the second generation, like you said, that was him, grew up studying comic and comic strip artists. So yes, their influences yes. came from that, which is interesting right. when you look at what's going on in there, because from a sort of golden age point of view, they're kind of often running pretty quickly with comics, aren't they? You know, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. a format. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, so so this nascent birth of this new art form and and then the realization that there's actually a market for this art form um amongst kids, you know, and the kids are buying buying them. And also, I mean, one of the other things that Cuba was lucky enough uh to for him for an immigrant as as lucky as immigrant gets is that he was actually only like a what's it saying here subway token away from some of the great art studios in new york city yeah which was where this new media was emerging from so you know yeah it's it's that it was a time at which the excitement for that kind of form of art and media was at an enormous high you know yeah printed printed media because so, he, he went he went yeah. to art school he actually had the advantage of going to art school and then um right. worked his way started drawing um he was um sheldon mayer gave joe a try at dc on a doctor fate story in 1944 
um, and he did some Hawkman later, which obviously was a, was a character that prolonged through a lot of his career. At the age of 21, yeah. though, not being a stupid man and you know being someone who we will later see as someone who who made a good living out of comics, he showed um, his business acumen by gaining more. He gained more control, but he formed his own studio in 48 in um, oh. Park Avenue yeah. in Manhattan, which is a brownstone, which he, he stresses in a number of interviews, was not a glamorous place just because it was in Park Avenue. <laughs> do you know what I think? Right. And he says, artists came and went from the studio, uh, including a 17-year-old Alex Toth, Carmine Infantino, Joe Giella, Frank Giacoa, and Lee Elias. So th- it was like a... Manhattan was like the place, wasn't it? It was mecca for comic yeah. artists and writers, and everyone who was doing it lived there. And you know, work their asses off, and went to places like the studio and stuff like that. And it, yeah, yeah, it's amazing, really, when you think of all the talent that came out of that small area. Now it can come from anywhere in the world, can't it? Because we've got the internet. But uh, it's it's, mm. it's an amazing coincidence. Um, in 1950, he did Son of Sinbad, which is considered by many as a high point in, in Cubit's style at the time. And in 1951, he married Muriel Fogelson, and he enlisted for a while. While in the forces mm. in Germany, he continued to draw, and he got involved. More in horror titles, being I, th- I believe this was sort of pre-Wortham for Eerie, um, and then this is an yes, interesting yeah. thing where he, when he came back, he got this, he got the bug for three D comics. Um, well, he was part of the. He, if if I remember this right um, from my reading, he actually was key in the creation of com- of three D comics. Yeah, yeah. He he actually helped create the process for three D comics. Yeah. Um, he, so he was sort of foundational to that, which became a fad for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah it was a fad. Have you ever read a 3D comic in? No, no. They're, they're not brilliant. There was a lot of fad again in the <laughs> 80s. Um, there was like Eclipse did some, didn't they? Do you remember? Was there was a oh, 3D yeah, they radioactive? Sold them with the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. The red and blue glasses. Yeah. And it started off as a really good seller and, and then sort of basically halved its sales by the third month or something and then they saw the writing on the wall and sort of yeah. stopped it so it was but you also did so, stuff like you did abbott and costello and mighty mouse he actually took on early ip um yeah as we see yeah. it now and started doing that as well sorry mate you're gonna say no i was gonna say one, one of the interesting things about the 3d comics market is you know he was involved in that i forget the publisher that he was involved in it with but they perfected this process and they started publishing 3d comics hmm um and um what happened was every other publisher in the world saw the success of 3d comics and then started pushing out their own yeah and the quality dropped right and that's why that's why it was kind of a fad because it ended up you know that everybody was looking at them and think okay yeah right all right it's you know it kind of tapped out that market so it's sort of that's why it declined quite as quickly as it did yeah but yeah you're right i mean a bad 3d comic it's just a bad comic, I think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I ever uh, put yeah. the glasses on and read one. I kind of had a few and thought of them as sort of curios, and they're probably yeah. still in their bag, I expect now. Um, they just look badly printed when you look at them. <laughs> yeah, the I mean, on. we were used to Spider-Man Weekly, where they just they printed it. It looked like a 3D comic, didn't they, the way they got the colour on? <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, exactly, yeah. 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 And then, I mean, slightly shortly after this, um, in 1955, he got his first cover, believe it or not. Um, which was Men of War 18. And it was around this time he began his extensive collaboration with Robert Kaniger, who is kind of in many ways the king of war comics writing, isn't he? You know. Are you a, are you a fan of American war comics in? I imagine you've read Charlie's War, haven't you? But is 
Yeah, I've read Charlie's War, but no, no, not re- not really. The, I really wanted to buy a book by um, Joe Cuba. I can't remember what it was called now. It had a Vietnamese sort of title, but it was about um, soldiers in Vietnam, and it looked it looked really good and it had amazing reviews on Amazon. But the delivery time was going to mean that I, I wouldn't right. have a chance to really get into it. Yeah, but, I think that, um, I think the problem with a lot of Cubit stuff is it's not immediately available either. No. Which is no, a shame. I, when you're talking about how long his career has been, um, there's, there's not a huge amount of collections of different things out there. Um, but um, just going back a little bit to what you were saying about when he started so young, one of my favourite... I've watched a couple of videos of him being interviewed. Yeah. And one of the things that he said was, he said, it's never been work for me. I retired the first job I took. And I thought that was really nice that he just, he obviously loved the medium so much. Yeah. He's, I mean, he he had a certain reputation for not taking any shit, which I kind of like. But I met him, yeah, (laughs) we're all like that. But I met him at um, New York. And I, I'm still kicking myself to this, to this day, where I had a, like a brief sort of. I just want to say, you know, how much I've enjoyed your work. Shook his hand, absolutely grinning ear to ear. He was absolutely lovely. Uh, really thanked me, and I said, "Do you mind if I take a photograph for you?" And I wish I'd asked someone to have a take so I could have a photograph with him, but I didn't. Yeah. I just took a photograph of him. Um, but even right. that's nice because he's just there's just a big grin on his face, but like not like a cheesy grin, like almost like a self-effacing grin on his face you know and I, I really like the dude for that you know and I, mm-hmm. I just went on a absolute dive of reading everything I could find from him you know buy a load of back issues of all comics and tour and all this sort of thing as well you know it's um so see there is nothing better for an artist than some I mean and Ian you know chime in here if you want but for somebody to come up to you and and tell you that your work means something to them oh yeah that's you know that's like that's that's huge so even cubit i can imagine is just you know thankful for the people who put him where he is you know the fans yeah yeah well thankful yeah definitely and speaking of which um we've got to give a shout out to two books i've i've read um a couple of books and there's bill shelley's the art of joe cubit which i know you've had a look at cliff as well um yeah, yeah very good and yeah. we've been we've been sharing images from that and man of rock a biography of joe cubit which is more of a prose book um, about him, which is also written by Bill Shelley. Both really good, both well worth watching, worth looking out for. The the art of Joe Cupid, it has a number of um, golden and silver age stories in there, which are just beautiful mm-hmm. to look at, and a lot of the, a lot of the mm-hmm. covers which we've been sharing online. Um, but the one that um, really got me was the Rock um, Soldier and Boxer, um, which is kind of yes, Sergeant yeah, Rock's what an intro. image, man! How good what is that? an image, huh? Yeah, just just amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just it sort of typifies Cubit's best work, I think. Yeah, I think so. His ability to put into what what is probably a simple image for him to draw. It's just a picture of, on one side, a beaten up boxer, and on the other side, you know, a beaten up soldier. Yeah. Just and you know, the counterpoint across the time is just tells a story of its own, just yeah. without word. GI Combat sixty eight, which was kind of the intro in a way, of Sergeant Rock, who, you know, it became probably what the the character may be most associated with him, or he's got a few, isn't he? But I'm going to say that. Um, Kaniger and Kubert's work 
on US War Comics is, is legendary, I think, and, and, and can't be underestimated. But it's is a real standout for me, sort of doing the work for this. Um, just beautiful. Did, did you see that strip, Ian? No, I haven't seen that one. I've, I've seen a lot of the Sergeant Rock covers. Um, yeah. And they're incredible. In fact, I think my favourite cover I saw by uh, Joe Kubert, I think we're going to get onto this later, but it was a Sergeant Rock cover. Yeah. Um, really lovely and I think people make the mistake of thinking that you know DC war comics are just going to be sort of gung-ho kill Jerry's kind of comics but they're not there's a lot there's a lot of heart and soul in those books there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of you know there's the the, the, the moments in the holocaust and child child victims and stuff like that it's, it's some really moving mm. stuff in there just incredible stuff um so let's I guess I wrote a little list of just people that are comics that occurred to me of the ones that what do we know him for? You know, is, this is a funny one, isn't it? We can, we can pick an artist out that's off the top of our head, and we can say, who who the, we know them for. You know, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, but this, the, it's a real spread with him. So I've, I wrote down initially. I wrote down well, Tarzan's got to be number one for me. Um, mm. Sergeant Rock, Hawkman, Tor, um, Enemy Ace, uh, Viking Prince, um, Mad Magazine. Uh, Tales of the mm. Green Beret, which is the newspaper strip. Um, there's just so there's like a real spread of when you look at that. Even did horror comics, you know. There's just a real spread of styles, but there's something about his panel structure that I, I was trying to identify what it was, and I think it's his use of um, sort of vertical close-ups of faces. Sometimes, did you guys notice that mm. at all? Or I know, yeah. That. Sorry, I noticed that one of the things with his panel layouts and everything else is that everything is um, very much based on storytelling. He's, he's dropping in so many visual clues all the way yeah. through, and then he'll repeat them. And um, he look, in the story I'm going to talk about, it, 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 the doorways are, are often a big focal part of panels. You know, either light shining into a gloomy room or like a foreboding figure sort of stood in the doorway, you know, yeah. and casting a shadow across everyone in the room. Um, it's just, and like if it's been raining outside, people walk in with little beads of rain on the brims of the hats and stuff like that. He's always just helping to make the story as believable as you can in what he's doing. And I'm sure he does that throughout yeah. all his comments. Yeah, there's, there's, there is that. A brilliant storytelling like the enemy yeah. ace stuff you know it's, it's it can't be the easiest thing to have that 3d effect of being in a you know a, a, a plane fighting another two planes and knowing where they are at all times within the reader's head you know but mm -hmm. he manages mm -hmm. to do it with those comics you know you you fear for the safety of the characters you, you you think oh they're behind him you know you get all this all the time in it and i think it's just so clever the way he does it um yeah, so let's let's go on to the books we're going to talk about. Um, should we start with you, Cliff? What have you chosen to talk about? Uh, so the book I have chosen to talk about is uh, Abraham Stone, Country Mouse, City Rat. So uh, that's a book that was published by Platinum in 1991. Um, and the reason I've chosen that specific one is because I uh, it it came uh, it it marked a whole new um part of joe cubert's career 
I guess. Yeah. Um, where he, uh, it was a little late, in, not late in the game, but there, there, there was emerging uh, sort of this field of, of what we would call graphic novels back yeah. then. And I know that's a term that's thrown around a lot, but, but um, my, my recollection is that it initially referred to sort of these oversized band dessinée style books um, that were heavily influenced by uh, European artists and the European industry. Um, and Country Mouse, uh, City Rat was the, I, th I believe it's the first one that he did. So this, this comes in. Yeah. This, so he was highly influenced by BD, wasn't he? Cause he went to, right. he got invited out to Luca and he was just absolutely mm, taken mm -hmm. with what's going on. I think he quotes Drew Amebius, uh, Bonelli, um, who was doing Tex, which he later drew as being like, they just right. blew his mind. And he thought this is amazing. And then it was only, yeah. it was only shortly after that, that Eisner said to him, you should work in longer form comics, which is what Eisner was obviously doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, th this has sort of been kicking around in this particular story, been kicking around in Kubert's mind since the seventies, but it wasn't right. until 1991 that he was, um, able to really sort of, I think he, he, he sort of thought about actually putting it together. Um, so, you know, what, what, what he was, he was at the time, um, he was putting together apparently um adapting the tarzan novels so that was where he was uh, and that was in the early 70s sort of 73 i think when yeah. he was invited to um a comics convention in italy um yeah. luca luca comics That's i think it, it was yeah, luca, um, yeah. yeah um and that was like the biggest comic convention in europe at the time um so he was there no doubt he was a superstar you know from from the american for coming in from america and he he met a uh, bosnian publisher at that comic convention oh, called wow, okay. um ervin rustmagic um <laughs> and he uh, he owned something called strip art features um which was a big deal and would become a big deal in the european comics um scene so they stayed in touch right so um roost magic would send european comics to cuba who you know to to look at him and he he appreciated kind of this more uh, adult comic strip work so you know he was sending him like quarto maltese he, lieutenant blueberry lieutenant blueberry uh torpedo you know and stuff like that oh, okay. right as well as some of the uh, metal herlon stuff um and so um yeah so you know it, Will Eisner's influence um, and and interactions will, with like his men, former mentor Will Eisner sort of um, got him thinking seriously about entering that arena with a graphic novel, right? Yeah. And he, he, up until that point, he hadn't done anything kind of long form in that form, which just blows my mind because Kubert is perfectly suited. I think Kubert, had he been born in Europe or stayed in Europe and lived there and developed his art there would have been a huge superstar of the European scene because to me, Kubert's artwork does not necessarily evidence kind of an American style. Yeah. I think you can see in kind of the Europeans, you can definitely see the influence of the European style, even though he wasn't influenced by European artists. I can see um, a little bit of Carlos from Strontium Dog right. and Dread in there somewhere as well. You know, imagine yeah, it's Kubert's difficult to tell who Strontium influenced Dog. who there. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, there is a very distinct tonality to the european style of yeah. art plus um, this was a western you know, which was massive is always massive in europe you know right right 
So anyway, so um, he talked with Eisner, like he said, um, and he came up with this idea for a long form story uh, that he uh, took it to DC, I think, initially, given advance. Uh, oh, no, that was the Redeemer. Sorry, that's a different okay. project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one. That so uh, yeah. um, so it was until 1990 that he finally um, sat down and um, d developed Abraham Stone, who is the character in Country Mouse City Rat. So there's like three, I believe, in this. There's yeah. like a trilogy of books. I think so, yeah. Um, and this was this was the first one. Um, and uh, so he visited uh, Rooster Magic in Sarajevo, um, and he was sketching ideas for it while Rooster Magic was watching. Um, and then eventually, uh, the next year, it only took him a year. This right. would have taken me 10 years. But um, uh, Abraham Stone, Country Mouse, City Rap, was published um, by Strip Art Features, which was Rooster Magic's publication company and then it was also published by malibu in in oh, the u.s okay i didn't know that oh, right interesting right yeah, yeah yeah so um it was uh in the european format it was 44 page segments it was square bound you know his own story arc um and uh, so so the basic story is abraham stone is this country boy his parents and siblings are murdered by a railroad baron's minions um and uh what happens is he's badly injured they think they've killed him but he actually rises from the grave you know he actually uh, to, to seek his revenge in the city yeah so um you know and which he does clearly you know with some violence and everything else um and it's it's like a, it, there's this, this flashbacks and everything else and uh, but the you know some sexual stuff in there sexual stuff um uh not not he, he he still kind of um leaned into the sort of conservatism of the american market in terms of there's no sort of it's not like the european so everything it gets shown he's still very conservative about kind of the okay. story is, is is not super super you know graphic in any way but you know he's at his this is a guy at the peak of his abilities um and and if you look at the cover it's like this it's it's abraham stone in the center and he's being pushed off the ledge on top of a building this is a scene that actually happens in the book yeah by this giant thug of a man and and the 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 perspective on it down into the streets where you can just see this you know you see that he's got the uh the laundry hanging up between buildings yeah. and the fire escapes and the star i mean i don't know how he whether he did this stuff from memory or whether he was kind of, i kind of think reference reading it myself it kind of to me reminded me of what it must have been like growing up in brooklyn you know right pre -war yes or something yeah i like imagine that. he's you know as an immigrant living in that area he probably the, the, this was stuff that he had in his head same same as eisner know, same so, as kirby even you know that that sort of yeah definitely drawing on his um his background as a european immigrant coming to a new country yeah. you know and, that, and and that's what kind of resonates in this book it's like and some of his other books um that i know we're going to discuss is his his ability to take aspects of his past and bring them into his his work yeah. um especially because this was like his work that he wasn't doing this for anyone else he did this for him you know this was his like it's it's a weird one this, this one because it's Hubert work. It's it's very easily obtainable this one. It's it's like yeah. a next day delivery if you're buying stuff off of Amazon. It's also yeah. um from a company that was I mean Kerb um Cubert worked for so many different companies in his time, which I think mm. is one of the reasons mm -hmm. we don't get enough of his work available today, you know, because it's it's all different 
places and companies and countries and all sorts of things. Um, but it, 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 is, it is a work that you can just order and get, which is so strange when you think... Like, mm. like for example, I was looking for his Punisher work yesterday on the Marvel app, and they didn't even have it on right. there. So I had to go to Comixology and buy it, and I'm thinking, why isn't this on the Marvel app? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I actually had to to get Abraham Stone. I actually had to get a like a second hand edition off oh, of did you? Amazon or something. Yeah, I couldn't actually get. Oh, uh, maybe I it's just the UK then. It came digitally. it came two days um, later for me. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky. I couldn't I couldn't find it. I, unfortunately, the <laughs> this this hurt. But the one that I ordered actually had clearly been sitting somewhere for a long time because the the uh, the glue had all gone and the spine, so all the pages oh, started right. falling out, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was. Which was upsetting for perfectionists such as me, but <laughs> yeah. But this this was I, the the reason I chose this is it, it. Not only is it a compelling story, not only is it Cubit's own work, so you really get to see the artist and writer and editor bringing all this, his skills to the fore to do a very personal project to him. But it was also um, it was his relationship with Rooster Magic that gave rise to some of his other. Um, uh, another powerful work of yeah. his, which I haven't read, I'm thinking of, which was Facts from Sarajevo. Yeah, it's recognised so, as one of his best, I'm going to say that, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, this was kind of like, the, I don't know, the Moose bouche the taster, before um, you, you get to some of his really, really deeply meaningful work. It was like he was, it, this is like his rough sketches before he gets to that kind of really good stuff. I mean, it's a great story, um, yeah, a little maybe trite and cliched in today's market yeah it's but, a little bit you know, pulpy bit action a little adventure. bit pulpy yeah but, but good. you know what the, the the artwork the details in this um you could tell the kind of the uh the workmanship that he brought to this book um clearly he he intended to put his best foot forward with that you know he was going to bring like his a game to this book to put it out yeah um I, I think my only objection to it is it's in color. I think it yeah, would have been, true. I think this would have been a, Kubert's work in black and white is unbelievable. You yeah, know, I was, I was just looking and, at Jew Gangster earlier and that's the same, right. man. The, the black and white rain and stuff like that in that book's incredible. Yeah. And the right. same sort of setting as the one you're talking about there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's this tremendous artist. And I think some of the coloring that has been done over his work has been a little haphazard and and not as good as it could be. Because, you know, for me, seeing him in black and white is just so much more powerful. But, you know, some of the scenes in this book, like there's a hanging scene and, um, you know, there's a fight scene. There's all it's action filled, but just rendered so beautifully, so perfectly. Um, It's it really is an education in how to as as ian said earlier in in the focusing on the story that the, the art should drive the story yeah you shouldn't be distracted by the art you know when it should always serve the story push the Agreed, story man, especially in comics yeah i mean the the one that i was i come away with from a lot of his books and that one especially is is the faces he he's he shows so much in the faces, and in that one, if I'm right, I've got it in front of me, but in right, saying you've got like you've got a, a, a view down on the main character, sort of stressful on you know being pushed over the edge of a balcony, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just and you so can good. see, yeah, yeah, the gritted teeth, the 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 look in his eyes, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and and that, but that's something you know that you will find throughout Kirby's Cubit's uh, work. Uh, just his ability to do these facial expressions, but also the postures of the people 
tell that he 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 shows he doesn't tell you know you you can read those postures easily yeah. you can read the face easily you can read the eyes easily um i'm looking at the art of joe Kubert right now and um when you get to the chapter nine the graphic novelist and it's accompanied by a pencil sketch of two soldiers carrying a wounded comrade and you know it's it's simple it's gestured but when you click back a page there's a page of tour that has no words Love so tour, it's man. a completely silent um book a silent page but like you know there are there are places where he shows tour where there are no words but you can tell exactly yeah. what he's thinking tours you an know? amazing and, amazing books because it's one that he created and then yeah. went back to again um, just beautiful stuff i mean yeah the I mean, line and it's in black and white that's why i said the line work in it is is impeccable yeah the, 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 uh, the weary know. the war weariness in in rock's face that you see a lot of yes. time it's just beautifully done. his yeah. his uh, it's his ability to convey somebody who is haunted by something yeah yeah you know, in those whether it's war or whatever but he just that there is a skill there that I mean, speaking as an artist, and you know, I'd love to hear Ian's perspective on this. But being able to convey that is really difficult. It's really, really difficult to do. You know, yeah. and I so, put it in all my scripts to you. You do, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the ability to be able to convey emotion with a penis is not easy. Sometimes anger's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It only has two states, so you know, it's quite easy. <laughs> right good so ian let's talk a little bit about your book which which one are you because i know you've read a couple you 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 what which one did you want to talk about what did you want to talk about rather i I was wondering if i could just sort of talk about one a little bit more in depth and then just sort of sort of do an honorable mention of another one if that's okay please do man because i know one of yours is in the art and it is is kind of influenced by the inca i'm gonna say so what go ahead and tell us what you want to talk about yeah Okay, so the the first book I've chosen, you did, you did mention it was Jew Gangster. Yes. Um, yep. And did you read this as well, Tony? Yes, I read it, but not. I've not read it for a few years. I reread it the last time when he passed, so it's been a while. Yeah, okay. I was flicking through it earlier. Yeah. Right. So it comes out through DC Comics, and uh, I got it down as being published in two thousand and five. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, just listening to when you've gone into his back, his own life, and I thought I I almost feel like this is him almost daydreaming about what his life could have potentially ended up with. It's an immigrant family in Brooklyn. Um, I think they're from Latvia originally, yeah. and it sort of centers around um, the main character is called Ruby, short for Ruben um, Kaplan, and he sort of stumbles across. Um, this hood called Monk, and it's a bit like a come of it, coming of age tale. It reminded me a little bit of almost like films, like um, is it Once Upon a Time in America, yeah. the Robert De Niro film where he James did Woods, gangster yeah. in that. Um, and I just really love this book. I've said, funny enough, you were talking about the facial acting of his of his um, characters, and I just said it's. It's full-on cartoon, and it does remind me of uh, comic strips um, that you get in newspapers in certain okay. places as well. Um, the figures in the dis- distance are all reduced into little triangular shapes and circular heads for bodies. Uh, sorry, just little circles for heads. 
it's it's not the artwork's never fussy. It's almost just a stage above like um, a rough layout. In fact, there's a fight scene in it that I thought these are almost like it's rough, but it keeps all the energy and the momentum of the fight going. Um, I wrote down as well, he uses lots of different angles. He doesn't make things easy on himself. There's a lot of top-down shots of cars and alleyways and um, that motif of the laundry hanging on the line between the New York apartments that appears time and again. Um, And so there's loads of different distances. So there'll be extreme close-ups on faces like you were talking about, Tony, earlier on. And then you'll have really long shots where you're capturing like the Brooklyn Bridge. There's even ones where you're like zooming out almost into outer space, looking down on the the grid of New York, if you like. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I just I just felt like it looked like the kind of comic where we've gone almost straight onto the page with ink. Like I can't imagine there was a huge amount of pencil work done underneath these inks that he. he they just seem to be flowing out of the pay, uh, out of his pen. I guess. I guess pay. that comes with you know his vast experience, doesn't it? Exactly. You know? He doesn't. He, he's already made his bones. I've been doing all these amazing books in the past, and I think this is just him supremely confident, knowing what he's doing. And um, the point I made about the storytelling just comes out really, really obviously in this whole thing. I've said everything is. Is only as much detail as he needs, but it's never sparse. Um, yeah. I said about the fact that there's a lot of line variation. So you've got really nice sort of gestural lines where it's just flowing, but then you've got few dead lines where they come to like, I just like that you can see where the pen's just lingered on the page a bit too long. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think there's bits where he's doing wipeout. He draws really good rain. Yeah, he does. Is really. I it love rain great. in a comic, man. I absolutely yeah. love it. And he does it so well. Yeah. 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 Really splashy rain, isn't it? You can feel yeah. the heavy droplets and like vertical lines going the full length of the panels. And it's just the marvelous book. The page one, really, I shared it with Johnny Cannon because I knew he'd love it because it reminded me of Alex Toss straight away. It's yeah. under one of the. Um, well, they were friends, weren't they? They were contemporaries of each other and would discuss and talk about art quite a lot, as I understand it. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I, I just felt like he, he's I don't know whether who, which, which influence came first, really. But you're in Brooklyn, and you can see sort of like the train line sort of cast its really heavy black shadow, and you can feel the heat because the shadow is so dark and dense that the light must be so bright. So yeah, wow. just things like that, and there's loads of violence in it. You've got lead pipes and brass knuckles, or yeah. knuckle dusters, whatever you. And, um, I mean, times were rough when he was growing up, weren't they? It wasn't, I yeah, imagine it wasn't an blood, easy place to grow up, you know. No, no, and the blood's all black, isn't it? Like, which is what you get in a lot of black and white comics. Yeah. It's either dark, white, or black. I did think of um, Frank Miller a little bit when I was reading it. Okay, yeah, um, I can see that. Just because of the yeah. like, things like brickwork being done as like, almost like a, a background for a lot of the panels to keep that rhythm going throughout the page as well. Yeah. Um, is there anything in it that you look at and you th- you you will adopt or you have adopted so far or you want to experiment with anything like that? That sort of well, is almost like a learning thing, process. Yeah, yeah. I just think I think that keeping that action, that sort of like um, the work I'm doing on now, 
I would usually laboriously do my pencils so I didn't even, even need to ink over them. Yeah. So on keywords, and if I'd work that way, then scan them and then colour straight over the pencils and working for Pat um, for a variety of reasons, but the main one to try and keep things looking like it's flowing and more dynamic um, is I do my pencils very, very loose. Right. And then I digitally ink over them and I'm really working hard on not making those inks too still and too... Um, too static. Yeah, I get you, man. Yeah. Fixed. Yeah. And, and keeping them loose. And that's one of the things. And the other thing that I'd like to think I'm, I'd, I'd, I'd get into my work is the consistency of his characters. A lot of these faces aren't many lines. Um, that European link that you both talked about I think was really obvious because a lot of it's functionally line clear, so you're not getting much right. shading yeah. or tonal work on it at all. But you can always identify who the main character is. And the other thing that struck me was uh, looking at a bit of the Abraham Stone work as well. His main characters do have a look of like Dylan Dog or something like that. They're all yeah. like dark heads with Good point. very similar sort of profiles to that character as well. Yeah. Um, and it just like the storytelling. I, I just wrote down those little sequences. So they'll be listening to the radio. They'll hear Roosevelt's speech. They'll comment on it in conversations. And um, so it places you in the right time. You can see street sellers in in the foreground and panels. And there's one brilliant scene which I absolutely love, where he's meeting a guy. He's going to drop off a package in a cinema, and. They're watching King Kong. Right. He uses scenes from the film to break up this talking head sequence that could be, yeah. you know, talking head sequences can be boring. So every now and again, the speech bubbles will be over an image of King Kong climbing a skyscraper or something like that. So <laughs> I just thought that was really, really smart. Well, that's, that's his life that. reflected in the comic because he talks a lot about his second love at the time being black, you know, well, as it was black and white movies at the time, yeah. was going the pictures a lot, you know, learning yeah. from that. Yeah, interesting. And the the main character, Ruby, he's got a comic collection. And as he's sort of grow, going through the ranks of this gangster lifestyle and his school friends uh, come round to his apartment and they can't believe he's got his own apartment and everything. Um, it, they're like, oh, look at all these comics. And he's like, oh, you can have them if you want. Oh. So he's like giving away his comic collection to his friends. But I think that's sort of signifying to you again that he's becoming like, that that would have been seen as maybe like a child's pastime and he's becoming yeah. this man and it's all just painting this picture of this coming of age tale but this boy's growing up in maybe the wrong side of the tracks but I just I thought it, I mean I read a few reviews you know from people who read, read it um, as well and they were sort of saying it's a bit cliched right. and pulpy like you men mentioned about the other stuff but I, I really enjoyed it I really thought it was a great story and it, it yeah. goes quite dark at the end um so yeah i mean he yeah he he was actually in the early days of fandom he was criticized for going darker you know in tone and in inks with a lot of his work especially his war stuff um yeah yeah, he's leading into that yeah it's a genuine shock because i think it is because a lot of it you're like oh we've kind of seen this before in in comics and in other media you know it's got like this sort of predictability to it yeah. and then something happens uh, involving his sister towards the end of the book and you're like oh, that is truly horrific and yeah you, you don't sort of see it coming you've got um his father's 
funeral scene as well where that's all done in the snow and again it's just like telling you about the season showing you the pattern of time and okay. it's it's just like i said so confident in its execution so assured and you just go through the whole story knowing exactly what's happening the story's just all unfolding out in front of you it's a pleasure to read it and it's an epic as well if this got made into a film it could be one like once upon a time in america yeah that's about the nearest thing i can think of hours if you wanted it to yeah yeah there's that that famous three and a half hour four hour version of that movie isn't there yeah yeah yeah. beautiful Uh, and they go like there's sort of like touchstones they go to like there's the there's the scene of them coming to Ellis Island as immigrants. There's the scene of them yeah. taking a girl to Coney Island and getting a Nathan hot dog. You know, there are very like reassuring little moments, so you know you, you sort of know what's going on, even though I've never been to New York or even America. And, but yeah. I felt like this is what it was. And it's stuff like. he did. He went, you know, he went to Ellis Island. Yeah. You know, he did all that. Yeah, yeah. It does feel really believable. It, it all the way through it you think this rings true all the way through yeah and you had a you had an honourable mention as well which I, I read which is an unusual book isn't it it is it is because I'm a it's, it's the bible <laughs> which isn't one that people might be drawn to straight away I won't go into the story too much you've probably heard it before um, it was published by DC um, and I got it in it said first published in 1975, but they republished it in 2012, right. which I'm assuming is the tie-in with um, the sad passing of Joe Cooper. Um, yeah. This was much tighter work. It wasn't as loose and flowing, and I, this this really did like impress me in a big way. This was inked um, by someone else, though, wasn't it? Is it Nesta Redondo inks this? Is that right off the top yes, of my head? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. But, it, I mean... I got well, and again, he might have brought a lot to it, but I, just looking at it as a piece of work, um, I, I just really, I just thought it was fantastic. Um, I mean, it's been many years since I was an altar boy and actually had to read the Bible, but you know, this is probably the you know, after the forty years, I've, I've finally read the Bible again. And it was an absolute fucking pleasure because this is this is more like um, a big MGM movie. Isn't yeah, it, then, uh... this, if you this this would have made me think that the Bible might be something I really wanted to read if I'd seen it. When <laughs> the I was Bible, but, um... he made the Bible cool. <laughs> he did. Exciting. He really did yeah. because he just draws the bits that he wants to draw. From. Yeah, I mean, he just picks out various bits, it. doesn't he? Yeah, it doesn't go to yeah, New yeah. Testament, does it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, I mean, I said the first time that I read this, my mouth was, I think, like I had to make a mental note to close my mouth because my jaw had dropped open and I just thought it was amazing. You've got all these incredible threads, you've got borderless panels, yeah. amazing levels of detail and imagination. And that's coming from him, even if he is being inked by someone else. Yeah, I think I found um, his line but, slightly smoother than normal, if yeah, that's a weird thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's more controlled, um, I think as well. Um you get like the creation story from page four yeah and the you don't need that there are words on it but you, you could do this as a silent comic this for this whole section you've got fireballs raining down on the planet you've got jungles growing up you've got the cosmos giving up day night seasons and everything that all happens in three panels then you go on to prehistoric sea creatures yeah and which looked pretty accurate as well. It looks like he's he researched like what the prehistoric animals could have potentially looked like. And then on page eight, you get Adam being created out of dust. 
and get this lovely like three panel sequence that is done in set panel where yeah. you just see this human form starting to emerge out of the door and then it just ramps up in quality even more and finally we get to the garden and the garden of eden and there's a great illustration of Eve as well and sort of and this might be down to the ink but i think i think he, joe cubit would have had a massive hand in this hair sort of outline is is, is shown by mark making in the background rather than a, a solid line around the form and i i I'd, and again i don't know where the influence starts and stops and who, who influences who but i thought when i saw that page i thought that this could be like craig p russell or barry yes yeah, it's, it's, there's a subtler like feel that. to it isn't it on yeah topic. really it, yeah. it was really lovely um and it just goes on from there so you go on you get cain and abel you get noah's ark which is done there's a scene where he's building the ark and you get these huge big boughs of wood that he's going to craft the hole out of that just looks so massive and impressive you get the story of abraham and that and on page 38 you get my standout page i'll post it on the slack it's um you get this huge statue of an idol that you're looking from the top down this kind of oh, right. and you see all the revelers at the bottom worshiping this false idol it's just absolutely incredible um and then you know it, it, it's just a really amazing and i'd never read it man I'd, I'd always seen it on the shelf you know it's got that very recognizable cover i'd always yeah. seen it about and i'd never it's the bible so i'm not going to read it because yeah, i know cliff and i threw ourselves into taking the piss out of you when you said you were reading that one but yeah it is absolutely fucking amazing um, it is. have you had a chance um, to look at it yet cliff or I I can't say I have. Like I said, right. this subject matter is not something I'm super, super, super interested in. And as much as I love Joe Q, but um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, I might now though. You guys have advocated for it. I might actually. If there was like an artist edition of this, it'd be the sort of thing I would buy. As you you two guys as a present, right. you know, it's that sort of kind of quality one. I know I've got the um, the Tarzan artist edition, so you can get Cuba in them. Um, yeah. yeah, that'd be great. I, I, I don't want to like put anyone upset anyone by saying this, but I almost think the title of the Bible is what's probably putting people off. <laughs> yeah. This, this, yeah. this is this is an incredible book. This is this is like there's an amazing splash page of like a sword fight on the back of two camels. But I just thought I don't think anyone would have drawn it that way. He's made it so complicated for himself. Yeah, it's so wonderful. And it reminds the thing... me, some, some of the pages look like some of the Spanish masters, you know, like they're really well done. And, and if he did have struggles with an anatomy at the start of his career, he's, he's worked on that and he's overcome it. So he's, an, yeah. he's, he's just a really brilliant artist, I think. And, mm. and, and I actually think the colouring in this book is quite good as well. Yeah, um, You know, you get like bright red skies. It's like oversaturated colours but I, I, I did quite like it in this book and I think it lent itself to the line and that. Okay. So, yeah, both of those books I'd highly recommend. Do Gangster and the Black the Bible is my top recommend. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's like Desert Island Discs, yeah the Bible yeah. to take away with you. Yeah, I'll have the Joe Cubit one please. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. It was it's actually it was published by D C which sort of tells you kind of the influence of Joe Cubit at the time. Yeah, that he he could get DC to publish that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and it's funny because I'm looking at it, looking at it online right now, and the cover of it is just a pure 
pure comics marketing, you know? Yeah. Sorry, Cain and Abel, you know? It's like, I, I remember <laughs> the advert being in DC Comics and just never, ever mm-hmm. entered my mind that I would, I would get it. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think you must have been, it must have been similar for a lot of people because I think the plan was to tell the whole of the Bible, but it just. <laughs> right, okay, serialized. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I just think people probably didn't buy it um, because that's not what maybe comic readers are really looking for. <laughs> yeah. They're selling it in the wrong state, so, say Cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, they were clearly not looking inside this book because I'm looking at some of the artwork now and I just pulled up a page page 46 which is sodom and gomorrah yeah and yeah. honestly that the, i i don't think i've seen a better rendering of a, a just this massive all-out fight that would look it looks like a page from it could be from conan it it, it yeah. could be frazetta you know it's and it's just it, it also looks like he pulled it out of a museum somewhere from you know like a 16th century painting of some kind i mean it's amazing that absolutely into, amazing that builds into the bit with the camel <laughs> camel sword fight as well so it just keeps on building <laughs> from that point it's really impressive uh, it's just chaos i can't imagine drawing something like that i'm looking at it and, and thinking about how i would go about doing this and it just it's such a complex it's like the whole of that. So it's basically this pile of bodies that comes from foreground to background from, you know, the left of the page, right. And your eye is just drawn down this pile of hundreds of people just fighting and killing each other. It's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I might have to look at some more of this. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And it? it is amazing. There's the other side of the thing is, is Yossel as well, which I was reading the other day. Uh, and uh, I don't know if yes. you've had a look at the art and that, but it, the art and that looks like something out of, da vinci's sketchbook you know it's yeah just... i think he, he made the uh, conscious decision um that when he was developing the book um that he he just decided not to put a brush to it he decided yeah, to keep okay. it in pencil yeah, which really i think only experiment. contributes to the power well the, the, yeah. what it looked like to me is if somebody had been there and was documenting in the only way that they had available by drawing kind of some some of the scenes that they were seeing yeah um and i I, it's just incredibly powerful way of approaching that yeah i I love that kind of thing i love seeing the pencil artwork is the final work and in jude gangster um chapter breaks he has um a similar sort of style so it'll depict like scene of someone selling things under the brooklyn bridge and stuff like that um, and it's all done like in this pen. And I've seen a few of the sketchbooks, the collected sketchbooks, and a lot of them are just done in pencil. And that um, book I was describing before about um, Vietnam as well, the cover was very like this as well. I'm just yeah. looking at it online now. Great. Really yeah. If I can yeah. can also recommend um, the Rock, the Prophecy, which is one of his later books, which almost has that oh, style yeah. to it as well which is um, one of the sort of later Sergeant Rock, and it's about a trip between Vilnius and Riga. Um, With Azarella, right? Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that's... Oh, no, that's the, Hard Place. Between Helena Hard Place, that's right, yeah, which is also amazing. Yeah, this right. came a couple of years after that and was sort of more issues than um, a, a graphic novel, which was what the Between Helena Hard Place was. But it, 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 
in two thousand it came out in two thousand and six and tells the story of Rock travelling between Vilnius and Riga, and um, which is a trip that I did in two thousand and seven. So it really sort of resonated. Oh, wow. me. Yeah, just amazing. But it was it was a bit easier for me <laughs> to point that out because mm. I just did it in a car with two mates. But mm. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> this was like tramping across the country in the middle of the war. But uh, yeah, really really good. Um, great stuff, guys. Is is a lot? I don't think I've asked you this yet, Cliff. But is there anything you personally taken away from from this artist at all? Oh my God, everything. I mean, right. you know, the, the thing about Hubert, uh, I think is, is just, he, he was a, he, he never, he never gave up on the fact that he felt comics were first and foremost an art form. Yeah. That's a great thing. He, about, isn't it? Yeah, it really. Is. He was purely a comic book artist and he remained that and stood up for the medium all throughout his life. Um, you know, here's a guy who easily could have gone on, to anything else he had the skills and the ability you know to to use this as a stepping stone but he did not he could have had a career in movie posters or fine art or anything couldn't he i think yeah anything he he could have gone on to do anything um you you know and i I think probably the biggest lesson that i take away from cuba i'm gonna i'm just i've got a quote by neil adams here that i just happen to have ready um that, that talks about his style and 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 i think it talks to the idea of you know, art should drive the story, but it should also come from a place, you know, inside you that, that anyway. So it, here's what Neil Adams said about his influence on, uh, about Joe Kubert's influence on him. He said, Joe's drawings seemed from the very first to come from a very primitive place. Like Frazetta, he ignored the boring and mundane and went directly to the powerful and dramatic. Yeah. As Joe matured, he never lost that gut level powerful style. In a world of technically proficient artists, Joe's gristle stands out and hits you in the face. And um, then Adam says his own style gains its grit almost totally from Joe Kubert. And I would, Maybe, if yeah. I had a lesson to pass on about the idea of sort of, of, of drawing from the heart to a degree rather than just sort of, you know, because. W- these days and and ian you know correct me if if this is something that you see or you don't see but um as we move into uh digitally produced comics um the ease of that doing that and also the technic the technicalities of doing digital art has robbed a lot of that gristle from the pages that we've been reading i think um you know um that that because of the the nature of digital art uh versus traditional art you don't have necessarily that visceral sense of sort of primacy you can work and rework and overdo and polish um your work from someone who's not an artist means is it more like you're you're carving out something on a page in the same way that a sculptor carves out and can't make a mistake but you're almost carving out something that's more part of you on a piece of paper than you are exactly okay that sort of nature of sort of revealing things rather than you know things don't necessarily come whole cloth and ian talked about this a little bit where he talked about you know how he's become a looser artist i don't want to speak for him but you know the the penciling it's definitely very much you know the gristle and grit and 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 drive and immediacy of art comes from not overworking it i think you can lose a lot of that um, primitive sort of that energy, it, it robs it of energy. I suppose the more I've, you work in, you're right, man. I've never the more I, you produce it. Publicly. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't think I've ever heard an artist say their first love is digital. Yeah, you, know, you don't. 
uh, hear that. No, they would we, say we might, but then maybe soon. This is an yeah. entirely entirely new age of comic book artists who are coming up purely drawing digitally. Rather, than, you know, they might have initially learned at some point um, traditional art, but I think a lot more people that you know, you're going to see kids who whose entire lives have been. Um, you know, they started drawing on an iPad. This is going to be like the first generation of a wave of generations who started with digital first and maybe never necessarily used traditional art implements, which yeah. is, that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, that, that things come, new technologies develop, but this is a sea change for art in that this is the first generation that will probably, will see produce entirely digital artwork uh, rather than something physical in the actual yeah. real world. Yeah. So I think there's a lesson. Sorry, go ahead, Ian. Sorry. No, let, I'll let you finish. No, I was just going to say, I think that is the lesson to be learned from people like Joe Kubert and Joe Kubert's ability to be able to not only draw technically proficiently, but also to produce emotion from it. Um, yeah. You know, Kubert in his final years talked about the way that he wanted to evoke emotion in the reader by the way of the way that he drew. And that, to me, is the apex of art, right? It's there's a lot of people out there who draw very pretty, very pretty paintings, but they have no emotional power to them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think for me personally, it, the lesson that I'm drawing from Cubert is uh, is to push further into trying to produce an emotional reaction and and worry less about the technical proficiency of the art i mean it's there it's got to be there but yeah what you're you know talking what about I mean? for me there the is, is how he walks the line between realism and cartooning for me you know there's yeah. there's a there's a um a, a lanky physicality to a lot of his characters who you you mm. can you can visualize swinging a fist or shooting a gun or riding a horse but mm -hmm. there's also that 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 sort of slightly emphasized features and you know well um, if i can it's it's about it's about almost minimalism it's the power that he has to draw just a line but that line is so expressive that it communicates things it's a real in a power, way isn't that it, man? Isn't it a you power? know a, a, yeah. a shitty artist like myself would need to have way too many lines and use too much hatching and too many you know too much brush spatter and all that kind of thing. He he just had the ability to create an image that was uh, that that you interpreted on the page as what he was trying to get across, but also with the added emotion in so few lines. Yeah, you know what you would traditionally consider quite a loose drawing. Oh man, some of his um, Tarzan work. I mean, I'm a big ELB fan. Yes, and some yes. of his Tarzan work. I look at it, even you know, just on the old dirty paper that I've got in the original issues and stuff. It's, just, mm -hmm. it's so good it makes you weep it's just so fucking clever and right. flows and story and oh, it's just brilliant yeah it's, it's all of it combines and what it does it's just that in between your you your mind and your brain and your eyes yeah. and what's on the page that somehow that fits into whatever little shape you have in your head that creates and evokes that emotion and how that mysterious alchemy happens with artists is something i think that as a craft we're always studying we're always trying to do that you know yeah what what, what it is that impacts the reader how did how do you how do you consciously make that happen on a page shortcuts in, without in, you seeing their shortcuts yeah yeah. Right, but but how do you yeah. just how do you create lines and a patch of black and yeah and 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 that somehow has an emotional it renders an emotional feeling in the viewer. 
that that's magic there right there you know and i mean you, you look at some of ian's work right and um you see the colors and the line and just the the, the gestures yeah, of how yeah. he does it the ballet of i ian's mean works amazing right and yeah. that's what makes it so beautiful and so amazing i mean you know but that, man, that, I, I see it, i see some of your personality in your pages in the same way i see cubits your there's hmm. there's a there's a um not just a view but there's a personality of the art i suppose you know i have this big theory is you can almost see the artist in their art sometimes and i feel that with both yeah. you guys in the same way i feel that with cubit you know that 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 is very kind and a very very generous comparison i i think it, it's what we all strive towards is you know, at some point, developing your own style to the point where it's your personality and your pictures that are on the page. And whereas you can might be able to tease out the influences, it is in and of itself a unique experience, yeah. right? You yeah. won't see that anywhere else. And the thing that Cubit mastered is you, you, nobody does Cubit like Cubit does. I mean, there are pale imitations, but Cubit developed his own style very early on, and he is categorically Joe Cubit. Yeah. You know, just as I guess Frank Quietly is categorically Frank Quietly, uh, John Byrne is categorically John Byrne. You, you know, the people who really, uh, you know, Ian Ashcroft is categorically Ian Ashcroft. Yeah, you so, might yeah. see elements of Jay Lee in there, but he's transcended that influence to become his own artist and, um, you know, brilliant artist. At that. It's, it's amazing the degree, the degree of personality in art is for us readers to we can look at a single i don't know ear and say oh that's john Byrne." Or, right you can look you at know. a line right yeah you, you could it's look amazing, at a line of of terry austin inked art of john burns uh you know terry austin inking john burns art and you would know that's yeah. the thing you can look at a cubit line and you can tell it's a cubit line yeah um, that's, that's the yeah. great isn't it thank you for those kind words as well fellas that's i've been blushing here but um, that's what that's what sets people apart, isn't it? And it, when people are saying about his anatomy sometimes not being right, or I think what he does is he, he doesn't let realism get in the way of an amazing image. Yeah. So sometimes he does budge like the perspective a little bit or the proportion a little bit, but it's all to serve the image that you're seeing. And I think um, that individuality of an artist's approach is. is is what you're looking for. You don't want to look the same as everyone else. So yeah. to get that, there are going to be areas of your work that might look a little off or not quite real because that's how your work's going to stand out against everything else. Otherwise, it's, you know, it might as well just be a photo strip. And yeah. Going, yeah going, going back to the point about um, digital versus like tangible doing something on a piece of paper. There is so much more satisfaction from producing a quality drawing on a piece of paper than I get personally from doing something on an iPad. Yeah. Because it's it's just you, isn't it? There's no brush that makes you makes this bit of inking a little bit easier or a smudge tool that means you can blend perfectly from black to white. Everything that's on that page you've had to do and you have to and every drawing I've ever done always has a, a mistake in it, or, and, and sometimes that's a significant mistake. And you have to think, and you can't always erase it. Sometimes you might be working in pen, pen and ink, and sometimes you might be working 
in pencil, but the paper will not rub that away. That mark's going to be left there. Yeah. And um, a lot of it when you're working traditionally is figuring out how to overcome your own mistakes and work and make them work within your composition and make it work within the piece of artwork that you're doing. And I think that is the big difference, that inability to click undo and yeah. to walk the tightrope without a safety net underneath. And I think eventually, this might be sound ridiculous, but I think eventually art will come back around to being more traditional. Okay. And the reason I think that is because as AI gets more and more advanced, and and I know people are rallying against it. Some of what I'm seeing, I just think it it actually looks incredible, and God yeah. knows where it's going to end up. The only way you're going to make yourself an individual and stand out from the crowd is by going back to hand drawn or printed yeah. or however you're going to do it. Going down the digital route is going to be not viable because there is going to be something that can just do that. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, man. That's yeah, going to yeah. happen. And the only way for us to go forward is to look at the traditional approaches and the traditional craft. And when the kids are saying things like this to me in school, well, what about AI, sir? Because they're more clued up than I am saying, well, the skills that I'm teaching you now, they'll come back round. I can remember going back to my dad as well, telling me how to, he showed me how to use a grid to do lettering for fonts and proper sign writing and stuff like that right yeah now yeah. when i'm teaching kids that it's like i feel like i'm teaching a lost art you know a lost skill a lost craftsmanship and that they might never have to use it but just knowing that you're keeping these old traditions alive it, it is, is quite rewarding and i think maybe that's the way comic books is going to go back to that kind of tactile approach yeah that's just interesting man. yeah right We've definitely gone long, but I knew we would. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Year, this is the same thing, same thing we did in the last two. It three. is true. That's fair enough. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's been that's been really great. And that exploration at the end there, guys, has got me thinking about a lot of things actually. Really interesting. So thanks for yeah. that. Um let's talk a little bit about our own project. So Ian, so let's go go back to you. So what what's on your what's on your drawing board at the moment? What have you got planned? What's next to come out, etc.? Okay, so Hellbreaker is ongoing. I'm just yep. working really hard to get that out. Um, um, that's a joy to do. Um, I've been given the first six pages of key words, and I've had to keep, sort of keep that on the back burner. But that, okay. that will come again. That will come back. That, I'm, I'm not going to just abandon that. Looking forward to that, man. Yeah, You're looking forward to them both. I've put yeah, too yeah. much into that to just walk away from Of course. It. So I, yeah. I'm going to get that done. And then, like um, you both kindly mentioned, um, my patron i've been putting out a little sort of story great, that I've, I've wrote and then just started messing around you get your money's worth on that one dude i got to tell you yeah oh thank yeah. you very yeah yeah exactly you do thank you and and, and that's it for the time being but yeah, that's, that's more than enough <laughs> um so yeah it's mainly hellbreaker but just loving doing that at the moment. cool such, such a thrill and what about you keith uh, so Keith Cumber is working on uh, the, <laughs> currently deep into um, uh, the the uh, the second Tony Osmond is a yeah you leaps and bounds because uh, you got the week off in it I'm guessing 
you've been uh... I, yeah yeah so i've been so the, my my sort of rant there about sort of overworking digital stuff is definitely born out of the fact that i just sent you the page that i just sent you tony like three or four different times with different tweaks on it <laughs> you've <laughs> that, also done a little a little um epilogue off your own back haven't you of a, a familiar I character did. So, yeah I don't know if you remember on the original Tony Osmond, when I started drawing that, I did like a little epilogue, not even an epilogue. It was just sort of like a little separate comic book yeah. newspaper strip style thing, um, which is, what was it? It was, uh, yeah, Give Them Pearls. Yes. Um, yeah, that was the, uh, yeah. Yeah, that one. And yeah. um, for this one, I did just based on the page that I was working on, just like a, a little story that somewhat, I don't know, would you call it homage or swipes yeah. from... It's a great idea. I don't I don't know whether we should spoil it, but it is so you've taken a seventies uh T V character. Very famous T V series in the UK from yeah, the seventies. And you've um you've slightly transitioned it into a nineteen eighty four style comic. Yeah, it's he's sort of he yeah, definitely kind of um yeah, a totally mentally deranged character. Um so <laughs> With a little nod to the whole V for Vendetta thing. Um, so just for context, I feel, um, okay. Second Tony Osmond will deal with a number of famous um, British uh, celebrities from the 70s and uh, early 80s. So um, uh, like, this was if, just um, sort of a natural extension of that. Yeah. If, if Operation U-Tree met the prisoner, that's how I'm, I'm currently yes. thinking of it. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> and um, it is guaranteed, I think, to definitely offend everyone well, quite a lot of people yeah <laughs> quite a lot of people it's offending me and i wrote it you know so it's... <laughs> <laughs> well that's you know what what better recommendation for a <laughs> yeah, exactly. is there than that but yeah that will be coming out under the amazing tribute press um, yeah and you've just been you've just been company. in dirty basement as well which has just gone out uh, to uh, yes. Yeah. Right. I got to say thank you for um, allowing me to have a couple pages in Don't there. With man, they're great. Wouldn't have had, wouldn't uh, have done it, it without you. So enjoyable to to draw those. Um, you gave me free reign. I should say now that you had nothing to do with those pages. You had no influence on them whatsoever. <laughs> they are purely creations of my own mind, and no blame <laughs> shall be levied unto Mister Esmond. Um, we haven't had any shit for it yet, over which I'm quite surprised. No, we have not had any shit for it yet. Although I did show it to my brother-in-law. Uh, a couple of days ago, and he was like, "What the fuck? This is fucking insane." <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I uh, yep, dirty basement, which is an absolute. I mean, just a work of underground genius, in in my opinion. But all down, um, to, it, all down to Falpy, yeah, it's his baby. Yeah, yeah, we did, well, we did have on, a chuckle I mean. with that. The um, my favourite panel of the whole thing is where there's a sort of junkie woman running up to me and Falpy as we walk into an Indian <laughs> restaurant, and Falpy's just got his hand up, going, "No, no, <laughs> <laughs> the Ruby Murray, yeah, yes, Ruby Murray. Yes. Yeah. genius, genius." So I think it's it's kind of interesting, right? You know, sort of Ian and I have vastly different styles, but yeah, you know, it's like. We, we there's just so much to love and i think you know i'm not saying i love my own style but it's like you know man i I'm, i i just think if i could only draw like ian ashcroft <laughs> what what could i convey good stuff guys. i i don't think um that that's different funny enough i don't well, think they are. wildly yeah different, i'd love to see one of you ink the other that would be good well we've done that we did that we did. Tony. what did you do that we on? did do that 
Uh, so I did it a, was like a tribute press thing for the first day at the yeah. basement. Oh, of course you did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. During, I think it was during Heroes or around just after. Just yeah, after Heroes. That's right. Yeah. We need to get you yeah. on the same table sketching at Heroes or something, don't we? That would be brilliant. Be oh yeah, well I keep I keep telling Ashcroft, man, that I would love to ink some of this stuff. That was such a delight. You know, it's always an we, educational we, experience. We have got a little plan else. for next year, haven't we, for a little trip. Um, yes. So there's a like a something of a a tribute stroke Mills verse summit considered, which I know Pat's yes. bang up for. So uh, that's that. That would be, be amazing. That would be great. That man. would be incredible. I'd, I hope that happens. I've even got the I've got, I've got my eye on the Airbnb ready to book it. So, yeah, I've had a look at one. <laughs> There's one with a plunge pool <laughs> on the roof. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I've yes. seen that. <laughs> 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 it's just around the corner from him as well. Looks amazing. Yeah, good stuff. So, right. So, where where can we find you online? In um, on Instagram, Ian Ashcroft Art, Patreon, Ian Ashcroft Art. Cool, nice one. Go and sign up for that. And Keith. You can find me on uh, just about any social media uh, at CG Cumber. Uh, and uh, yeah, just, just there. Oh, and I have a column I write uh, called The Long Box, which is on Substack, thelongbox.substack.com. That's good, man. I love reading that. And thank you for the mm-hmm. mentions in that recently as well. Yeah, very kind of you. Yeah, good stuff. All right, guys. Well, well I'm going to bully you into doing another one because I think these are always fun. So maybe in a few months we'll uh, you'll, we'll hear from these two boys again and uh, we'll examine another artist maybe try someone a bit further afield i've got in my mind at the moment but uh oh oh yeah. christ <laughs> thanks guys thank you thank you tony